Hello and welcome to The Rednets, the official podcast of Empire of the Cop. We're back again with another Champions League review and what a game it was. But I'm not alone here. Helping me today will be, as ever, Rick Elliott and Steve Carson. Steve, I mean, absolutely superb first half there. Sort of eerie kind of resemblance to the first half of the Wanda Metropolitano, minus the equalising goals. But what did you make of it? I think it was a very mature performance from Liverpool, uh, particularly in that first half. Like you say, the second half, obviously, things petered out slightly after the, the sending off. But, um, yeah, it was in terms of attacking performance, I think it was just as ferocious as it was in Madrid a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think we'd learned a few things defensively. And to be honest, in that first 20 minutes to half an hour, we just snuffed out any real threat Atletico Madrid could offer. Um, and they just... You've got to remember as well that these this is the champions of Spain. You know, I, you know they are coming to Anfield, and you know it's always meant to be a tough game. But we, we made them look like uh, the champions of Belgium. You know what I mean? We're, we're talking about, yeah, we made it look far easier than what it actually is. You know, people are talking about this group of death. You know, well they were talking about. So obviously they're not anymore. Um, it's been a cakewalk for Liverpool. You know, and I think it's really sending a message out to the rest of Europe. You know, anyone who's really paying attention will see what Liverpool are doing and they will be worried. I really want to touch on that particular point about, uh, I suppose, commentators' thoughts on the group. Because I think when that group came through, everyone sort of went, oh dear, you know, after Liverpool's last season specifically. And I'm not sure whether it was just purely because of that last season, but also, I mean, these are perfectly tough opponents. Atletico Madrid, as you pointed out, champions of La Liga, AC Milan, um, Porto, all tough, tough contenders. But as you say, we've almost waltzed through this group. It's been, I mean, that last game, it was just almost routine. Um, But Rick, what what do you make of it all? How does this sort of um, stand up when we're looking ahead to sort of our chances of actually going far and potentially winning this competition? I mean, first of all, two things. First thing, just remember this sort of this moment. Us not necessarily winning things, but still doing uh, doing well, and obviously like showing our quality. Because this is a point that I will hopefully bring back up later on in the podcast when we get to a certain other topic. Uh, the second thing, completely off topic again. How shit is Atletico Madrid's kit? <laughs> like, what is that all about? Like, it's just like this blue with like the. I thought like our McDonald's kit was bad, but that is just a completely other le- another level. I say this unironically as I'm wearing that sort of uh, the, that white uh, vintage jacket that Nike have put out this season. So back to your point, it's uh, yeah. I mean, we were just shown like kind of that it doesn't necessarily matter about how good the opposition are we are liverpool you know we've got some of the best players on the planet and when they all work in the way that we've designed them to work you know it's uh, we can go on and just achieve our goals i mean this is just as simple as that we go and we win football games um you know, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, the amount of flack that he gets on on social media and stuff like that because he's not Reese James or whatever, and he's not scoring goals. Well, I mean, if he's getting assists like he was last night, I mean, I don't care what his his goal return is. I mean, like the the lad found himself in an ocean of space uh, more than once, and you know, he, he whipped in the 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 I mean, a gift of a cross um, for for the first goal. Uh, for Jota and all Jota had to do was just put a bow on the gift 
because it was just, it was you know it was such a it was uh, yeah the second goal lovely through ball and I mean Mane makes it look simple but I mean the amount of pace that was on the ball it's not too hard to act like you know accidentally like hit it right at the keeper there's like there's barely any time to react to the to the pace of that ball I mean I, I when that second goal was it went in I put in the group chat that it was it was going to be a bloodbath because it looked as though that was that was the way that the match was going it was just you know a fa- it, we looked unstoppable and that was kind of famous last words and I even called myself out in our little group chat for saying that and it and it evolved that way I mean the red card I never want to say these words again but I agree with Michael Owen <laughs> he's like he said during like the po- uh, the halftime analysis that it was like more than a more than a yellow card, less than a red card. Like if there was a, ever an argument for an orange card, that challenge would have sort of you know been the the poster child for that kind of thing. But yeah, and then and then it just the game, like Steve said, it it just sort of petered out from there. Um, you know, I mean, still in that first half, we were still putting in a load of good challenges. Diogo Jota was just still just the the shining star of that 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 first half absolutely just keep pushing for that next goal i mean he was an atom offside and like he's still coming back for more the uh atletico team were just just shit houses really <laughs> they were just trying to get mane sent off and i mean everyone could see it coming from a mile off and you know he gets subbed off at half time and and that's that's it the game's sort of you know, Firmino comes on, he does a good job, but it's just not the same as if Mane had been on the pitch. I don't think that we, we, we just sort of uh, got just sucked back to reality almost. It wasn't the the full force best team in the world. It was just sort of uh, petered out is probably the best way to describe it, really. I mean, I should add, it's a shame uh, our listeners can't see Rick's new jacket. In case it's fans are wondering jacket. which jacket we are talking about, it is the one indeed modelled by Ibrahima Konate, uh, the white wonder. Um, yeah, no, lovely, lovely piece. But back to the game. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> after that distraction after that there. lovely segue. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of the individual sort of performances there that are worthy of praise. You know, we, we, we need to sort of... Pay attention to you know Diogo Jota, um, obviously Sadio Mane, um, but I, I really want to sort of draw our attention to the fullbacks because Trent's obviously had you know clearly had such a wonderful game with those two assists. Um, you've also got of course Costa Simakas who likewise deserves attention. I mean, I mean, Steve, I, I really want to sort of get your opinion on Simakas specifically because um, he filled in for Andy Robertson and did a terrific job. I thought personally and. You know, look, looking at that performance, is there an argument at all to be had for keeping Simakaz in the left back spot for the West Ham United game? Hmm. I'd say there's an argument for it. I'd say the big part of that argument, and um, it, it, it sort of Simakaz allows this discussion to not be daft. Um, Robertson needs a break. He's played a relentless amount of football, and he he just needs some time off before we add yet another injury to one of our important first team players. Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd not be concerned at all if Simakas um, played against West Ham. I wouldn't be concerned in the slightest. Obviously, if Robertson is fit and available, he is the number one left-back in the world, not just at Liverpool. Simakas is probably the best number two left-back in the world. Um, you know, there's probably one or two out there that have probably got the claim to that, but I don't think anyone's got a better left-back sat on the bench. Um, yeah, 
if he plays against West Ham, no worries whatsoever. Um, I thought I thought he was brilliant against uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, he plays with a lot of um, grinta, which is uh, heart heart on the sleeve. He, he plays really passionately, um, and he he doesn't let the game get away from him either. He he goes into these big tackles. He makes these runs up the wing and he makes these lovely crosses into the box and you never see him get into the referee's face, which is something we saw quite a, quite a lot at Anfield um, from the away side, uh, more than the home side. But you know, what, what can you do about that? Um, yeah, on the opposite flank as well, Trent Alexander-Arnold, world-class performance, uh, man of the match, basically scored the two goals himself. Uh, as Rick pointed out, Mane's challenge, very, very difficult, very, you know, takes a player with very high technicality to pull off a finish like that. But Trent's crosses made them hell of a lot easier finishes than that they could have been. Um, put them on a plate, as the saying goes. But we expect this from Trent. He's the best right back in the world. Um, and, and yeah, it's it's just a great time to, to I, I guess, it's a great time for Liverpool and their full-backs. Um, you know, I don't really want to speak too early of um, Nico Williams, but obviously... We could maybe do with uh, a right a right footed Simicast on the right hand side. That'd be lovely. Um, but you can't really tell you know was a pro Welsh international footballer. Um, so yeah, it's a great time um, for the Liverpool fullbacks. And yeah, if Simicast starts against West Ham, no problem whatsoever. And I believe probably most of the Liverpool fan base would be in agreement with me there. Now, it, I mean, it's quite something that sort of depth we have, and just uh, the, the, in the fullback spots, particularly as you pointed out in the left back support, I think you're spot on the money when you say we have the best backup fullback probably in, in world football right at the moment. Um, but obviously, returning to the game as a whole, I mean, I mean we spoke about this uh, before the podcast, sort of looking at the impact of that red card. And I mean, the, the game virtually came to a standstill after that. I think, uh, Rick, you, you made the point early on that sort of, it would have. It would have looked like it was going to be a bloodbath. But I suppose my, my question to you is whether, you know, we would have loved to have seen seen another five 0 especially against a side of Atletico Madrid's quality. But has that, that those circumstances almost done us a favour? You know, sort of avoided as tired legs as might have been the case had we gone out and thrashed them five or six nil, uh, which obviously bodes well then for the weekend. I'd argue no, because the thing is, so the the two nil doesn't do the squad justice there was i mean we were like that first half was relentless and then the second half i mean i to say the match petered out i mean if you look at the highlights um of last night it kind of almost finishes at the 55th minute and then like picks up at full time whether you know the girl shaking hands, and it and it, it makes you seem it makes it seem as though that second half was just basically irrelevant. It wasn't. There was still quite a little bit of action, a little bit of fight in the team. They were still trying to get stuff done. It was just the fact that it wasn't pulling off as much as it was in that first half. So you're still you're still seeing the squad putting in that effort, that 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 drive, that determination. There's a massive expenditure of energy there. You know, it's the same amount of expenditure of energy that you would have got if it was a if it was a five nil six nil result that it could have easily have been. It's just that you know, like I said, we were an atom offside for the second Diogo Jota goal. Um, there was a really great chance in that first half from uh, Oxley Chamberlain. I think it was in the first half. It might have been early on in the second half from Oxley Chamberlain. Um, there was the, I mean, uh, Joel Matip had a had a, a wonder shot. I mean, Matip, can we just? <laughs> Side note, he was like 
on form last night. I mean, like, not just in terms of defensively, but also in terms of his reactions are just like, you know, just great. I just love watching all the high, like at the end of at the end of every game, people I just cut out the Joel Matip reactions whenever things don't go his way. It's always comedic. It's always amazing. I love him. Love him to bits. Um, but yeah, like there's, uh, there's so many great um, performances, individual performances last night. Oxley Chamberlain is another one. I mean, I've already mentioned him, but like, yeah, he had a great performance. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen him play the full 90 minutes. I don't think he's got it in him to play the full 90 minutes. And I think Klopp was wise to bring him off. But on saying that, more of that, please, if he's got the like physical capability of doing that. And that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get to, to loop back to the point is, you know, it, it, these players are still putting everything that they've got on the line. Even if the, even if the highlights cap out at the 55th minute, that doesn't discard whatever else happened in the rest of the match because there was an awful lot um, still going going on there. No, no. I mean, it was a terrific fixture, especially from that opening uh, 45 minutes prior to the 55-minute mark, as you've mentioned rightly. Um, I mean, I personally would be very curious just to, to see a reel of Jill Matip's um, reactions, just the reactions, none, none of, let alone his performances, uh, once his Liverpool career draws to an I'm pretty sure end. that exists on Twitter. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, the complete version, though, when we were talking, you know, hopefully far in the distance, um, hoping for many more years of Joel Matip at Liverpool. But that highlights reel in its completion will be legendary. But enough about Joel Matip. I want to take us on a trip uh, to the Ballon d'Or and looking specifically at Joseph Antoine Bell's uh, comments about Mo Salah and his chances of winning the individual award. Um, the, the legendary Cameroonian goalkeeper basically came out and suggested that Salah would be unlikely to scoop the individual award. And I've got his exact quotes uh, right here for you, gentlemen. Um, he says, there's no doubt that Salah is clearly among the best players in the world, but we have to be honest about this. When people talk about who should win the Ballon d'Or, they always ask, what did he win? And we have to apply this to everyone. Salah wasn't champion of England. He wasn't champion of Africa, whereas others won things. So it makes it very hard to say that Salah deserves the Ballon d'Or more than other people. I mean, there's a certain element of logic in that, Steve. But then I'm, I think many many fans will be of the mind, well, this is an individual award. So why should silverware a team, you know, team accomplishment come into this. It should be based on purely who was the best individual player in that calendar year. And you'd be hard pressed to make an argument for many players beyond Salah, if any, who would be more deserving of the Egyptian. I mean, but what, what do you make of those comments? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to know exactly what he means. Uh, if he's saying that Salah is less deserving of the award because he's not won any team awards, and then that's obviously that's, that's obviously not right. But if he's saying based on previous years, Salah's less likely, then I'd say that's fair enough because it history has shown that the players that win silverware are the ones that are more likely to win it. Even though personally, I disagree with that. You you look at the the Pushkas Award for example, that is pure individual madness. Remember Mbappe Jan winning that. And the team wasn't particularly firing at all cylinders at this point. Don't believe he won a trophy that year. But Emre Jean scored, you know, scored a, a, a realist, unrealistic goal and won the uh, Pushkas Award. And that's how I feel like the Ballon d'Or should be. 
the best individual performer, but I mean, this has already been said a thousand times by a thousand different people. Yeah, Mohamed Salah, the calendar year that he's had, he absolutely is the best footballer in the world and has been for quite some time. People might point to last season and go, oh, Liverpool didn't do that well. If you actually go and watch how we did last season, we were, we were so close to being that one-man team that we were with Fernando Torres and Luis Suarez with Mohamed Salah because he was the only man that was consistent. Well, I mean, there was a few other players, of course, who were putting in top-draw performances, but he was outstanding. He was the best player in the league, by far the best player in our team and the best player in the world and has been for the full calendar year. And players like Lionel Messi, particularly Cristiano Ronaldo, have dropped off quite a bit. Obviously, Messi's got the international trophy, which I think is going to be a bit more of a vote of confidence for him um, after all these years of international honour actually evading him. I think that'll boost Messi's chances. But, you know... Mohamed Salah is the, is the most deserving player, I think, in the last calendar year. But obviously, the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski, even the likes of Haaland and Mbappe are probably up there. But yeah, I mean, realistically, Salah should be up there. But if, if what he's suggesting is that he's less likely based on previous things and he's just sort of that, then, you know, fair enough. I can see where he's coming from. But I mean, as many people will say, that's that's not the way it should be. It should be more like the Bushcats I mean, this is the thing, and if you look at sort of the leaked reports, uh, allegedly, of the uh, final Ballon d'Or list, um, they have Lewandowski and Messi generally placed above Salah, um, as one might expect, not rightly on performances uh, as we feel. I mean, but Rick, I mean, it, it feels a bit bizarre when you sort of look at sort of Salah's prior season, you almost feel because he hasn't scored, you know, ridiculous 40, 50 goals in, one, in that one season, that that should sort of almost impinge upon his chances of winning the individual award um, come the end of November. But I mean, as Steve's rightly pointed out, there you know he would by far arguably our best player and by far probably the league's uh, leading talent uh, last season, and he's carried that on wonderfully this term. So, I mean, why why is there an argument for him not being in contention for the award? <sighs> I mean, I mean, the, the argument for him not being in contention for the award is because Liverpool uh, like didn't win anything. I mean, like it's like, <laughs> that's the whole point of us having this conversation. Um, I mean, the, if he's effectively being punished because Everton were shit houses, like if if Van Dyke wasn't injured, if Thiago wasn't injured, like that game, like, if that game doesn't happen in that way in an alternative universe, you know, if those two players are still fit and healthy. When we go on to uh, like you know have a slightly stronger defense. Now, I'm not saying that um, you know it, it last season was perfect with Van Dyke because we still had that mad Aston Villa result. But you know, if you average it out over the course of a season, we get more uh, like a more stable defense. It's not as chopping and changing. Whoever's put next to him. I mean, you could still have Matip, in, Matip injured. You could still have Gomez injured. You could still be throwing Nat Phillips in there. But the fact is, if you have them next to Van Dyke, it's automatically a stronger defence. You know, so you've got you've got that going on. I mean, like, yeah, Salah last season, he won the PFA team of the... Uh, he was in the PFA team of the year. He won his second Fans Player of the Year award. So it's not as if he hasn't gone without any individual, like, recognition for his performance last season. It, he, he's, you know, he's, a, he's the shining star in a team that was poor for the most part. I think we, everyone can agree that last season was a very poor season for us. But they were also a team that was run ragged. 
You know, it's a team that was showing the uh, the 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 side effects of what three years on the bounce, like you know, going for one of the strongest uh, fought leagues and missing out and getting the Champions League final and uh, well, yeah, Champions League final one year, champion winning the Champions League final the next year, and then just going through a let's not forget a COVID affected season with a massive break in the middle and then finding the guts and determination to go again you know so and and to to loop back to what i said at the start when i was saying like that liverpool are going up against all of these um you know the these these league winners and and you know from all across europe and yet we haven't won anything and yet we're still how many points clear or, you know how many points clear in the in our champions league group it just goes to show that winning things doesn't mean jack yes it's a nice shiny trophy thing that everyone is sort of clamoring for but it doesn't i mean there's there's been teams that have won titles that haven't really earned them like you know it's it hasn't you know there's you could argue that say you know the season that we won the champions league we shouldn't have been playing against spurs we should have been playing against ajax they were this much stronger team that season but just because of the way that the cookie crumbles, we're we're in the Champions League final against Spurs. You know that's it shows that you know that they were an underserving underserving team, and you know they could have easily have just looked out with a fluky decision, and ended up winning a Champions League. That just goes to show that like you know it, all of this about oh what Salah won in that season, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. No, and. I think it's fair to say, but I mean, whatever happens, it's not going to affect obviously how he's viewed on Merseyside. He's, he's a special talent. He's been a special talent uh, since he signed from Roma. And, you know, he, he looks like he's just nowhere near close to stopping or even reaching his best years at Liverpool. I mean, this is, he's obviously still embroiled in, in contract negotiations with the club, but realistically, if you're looking at the player, how well he takes care of himself, this is a man who's, who's going to enjoy his best years well into his thirties, but hopefully that all gets sorted and we can enjoy Salah for beyond the 2023 period. For now though, uh, another player who's attracting attention for very different reasons is of course, veteran midfielder, James Milner. Um, a few fans spotted him at the Preston game, travelling with the squad despite being injured. And also, again, watching the under-19s take on Fernando Torres's under-19s squad. Uh, they replicated our result 2-0. Well, I should say we replicated theirs. Um, I mean, it, it, it's led to a lot of speculation uh, amongst the, the fans on Twitter regarding the future of James Milner. And, and Steve, I just want to come to you. Like, Do you reckon this is sort of the, the club are like lining him up for a potential coaching position. Where where do you see uh, the future of James Milner lying? Yeah, I mean, it's it purely my opinion, like, but it just seems very obvious to me that that's the way he's going. You know, he's been a leadership. He's been a leader at Liverpool since he arrived. Um, and that has only, you know, intensified over the years. He's vice captain has been for some time now. And you see him constantly on the sidelines and he, he's like another coach when he's not playing. Um, you come to expect this from James Milner. The fact that he's turning up at the under-19s games frequently as well um, is no surprise to me. It wouldn't be the biggest shock if he has some sort of coaching role lined up for when he retires, obviously. As it stands, uh, this coming summer, he will be out of contract. Um, I believe he'll be 36 years of age. 
That seems like, you know, James Miller could probably play until he's 40, if we're being honest with ourselves. He can move down to, he probably actually still playing the Premier League when he's 38, 39. But when he decides to call a time, it really wouldn't be a big shock to me if he decides to coach at Liverpool. Um, it just, it all seems so perfect. And yeah, I think the speculation's right to be there. Um, I think him having a, is it a room is named after him at, at the new uh, training ground? You know, these little things all suggest that he's not going anywhere anytime soon, or at least his influence in the game won't be going anywhere anytime soon. It just depends on whether he wants to call time at the end of the year. And then also, is he going to continue at Liverpool? I think there might be opportunities for him to go back maybe to Leeds United or Newcastle United, maybe some of the other previous clubs at Aston Villa. But I mean, obviously, I, th- I think I can say that all Liverpool fans would love to see him stick around at Anfield or Kirby, maybe more suitably. I mean, you pointed out, you've just rattled off a list of some you know big clubs that uh, James Milner has been a part of before eventually making his way over to Liverpool. But I mean, it, it, obviously, we're very biased saying this, but it feels almost like he's been a part of the structure uh, the woodwork here at Liverpool for well beyond, um, you know, well beyond the time he's actually spent here. Um, it's, it, it just seems fitting um, that 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 a coaching role would be lined up for him afterwards. But I mean, Rick, to put this to you, um, hypothetically, were he to be offered a coaching role, where would you see his general pathway going? Do you see him sort of mimicking? Uh, Gerard sort of taking up a role with the the youth and then eventually finding his way to a, a senior role elsewhere, potentially in the Scottish Premiership. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've just pretty much nailed on what I was going to say. It, it, it feels as though it's very sort of Gerard esque in terms of. I mean, so he Milner signed a signed a extension uh, in December of 2019. And we're not privy to what was in that contract, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is some sort of coaching. Once you get to a certain point, it, it, it will then start giving you more of an, uh, an eye into the world of coaching. And then it will be, I can easily see it being, like you say, taking on the youth teams like Gerard did. I mean, I, I thought that Gerard took the Rangers job too soon. Um, I mean, he's proved me wrong. I still think there was a little bit more that he could have gotten out of of youth level, um, especially when, I mean, I was saying this about Pep the other day, Pep Guardiola. Um, I mean, he's a checkbook manager, and the only time that he hasn't been a checkbook manager was when he was a youth academy coach. And that is at Barcelona, which is like one of, I mean, you're going to have the best teenagers in the world under your ranks. So that's you know, and 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 so I just feel like Liverpool's uh, Liverpool's academy is one of the best in the world, but it's not the best. There is still a good portion of youth players that you know it's it's not like the the loan farm that Chelsea have or the City are, are sort of aspiring to have. Um, you know, there is it, there there are quite a few released at the end of, of every season. And, you know, you don't, you hate to see it, but at the same time, it's just the level of intake that we get isn't quite at that level that we'd want it to be. But that just means that you've got to work harder as a as a coach to get the most out of those players. You know, football isn't like having a cheat code. You're not always going to 
you know, have financial backing. And so that's why I would have liked to have seen out of Gerard is just that little bit more. And I mean, he's getting that at Rangers. I mean, they haven't got the budget to be, you know, I mean, Celtic are the team in that league to to have a budget. Even it's not the even that's not the biggest, but they've, you know, he's still being outspent elsewhere in that league and he's still getting the results. So to bring this back to James Milner, you know, I, I feel like uh, having him gr- like grit it out at the youth uh, youth level for a little bit longer than Gerard did would do his managerial skills a lot better in the long run than and to, the ability to uh, experiment with formations and, and styles of play. Uh, just a little bit more. I mean, because let's face it, like James Milner, as we've alluded to, has been around the block a few times. He's played under so many different systems. He's played literally almost every single position on the pitch. If if you were going to be managed by any ex-player, he's the one that you'd want to be managed by because regardless if you're a defender, attacker, midfielder, like he, he's got the knowledge of like what it's like to play in that position, even if it was just for a game or two. He'll still know, like, like when you've got them bombing at you, you know, you just, you know, don't be scared, or like, just the, those like little sort of like the someone who's played in one position their entire career just wouldn't have, and have just got to depend on their coaching staff, which at a youth academy level, again, their youth, like their coaching staff around them, isn't going to be at the level that, say, your your first team managers, coaching staff are, at, are going to be at. Basically, I'd love to see him at the academy. I'd love to see him there for a lot longer than Gerard was, but not obviously not too long. I'd love to see him move into another league at some point. Who knows? I just don't want to see him leave Liverpool and then go straight into management at a team a la Lampard or Rooney, because that's where like it's it gets unstuck very quickly and you know, it, it, it all just comes undone and you can ruin your reputation going forward. At least if you stay in the youth academy level in secret almost, you know, like just just you know, tweak away. No one's really watching and then release yourself onto the world. I think that's the optimal way for him to go about it. if he wants. That's if he wants a managerial career. I mean, we could all just be speculating and then he just retires and goes into punditry. Who knows? I mean, the thing is sort of, I, I, I personally make out of this is Liverpool have got such a, a world-class team. You know, I mean, Klopp said this from, from day dot. He said it was, you know, I, I, he said, I don't know everything. I'm going to need experts around me to help make decisions as a team. And that's worked fantastically for Liverpool from the medical department to nutrition. I mean, you've got Klopp there at the helm. You've got Pep Linders. Uh, you've got Vito Matos. Uh, you've got some really experienced really ex experts in every position in the club I mean, it's it's the perfect sort of set of circumstances for you know a player making that transition into coaching to learn from these minds um so i think it very much makes sense uh, for milner to sort of almost follow that gerard route at least initially within the the youth setup um and sort of soak up that knowledge before um cop leaves in 2024 um it, it seems very much that Milner's Liverpool story is far from over, and we certainly hope as much. For now, though, uh, we've got a Premier League trip to uh, the London Stadium against David Moyes' high-flying West Ham United outfit to look forward to. 
Um, we find them actually bizarrely, um, or not so bizarrely, uh, given how well they've played this season. Fourth in the league, only two points behind us on equal points with third-placed Manchester City. I mean, they've they've beaten some big names, Steve. You know, Leicester, Tottenham. They they knocked Manchester City out of the EFL Cup very recently. Um, is this? Do you see this sort of being the kind of game where we we go over and they, they you know they play a, a really decent side outside of you know domestic cup competitions and sort of get tonked or should we be really cautious and respectful um, of the challenge posed by David Moyes' men? Yeah, I think it goes without saying, especially with Jurgen Klopp, that we'll always show the respect um, the team deserves, and West Ham and David Moyes both deserve it this season. They've been. They've been playing really, some really good football. They um, they are where they are because they've got a well-drilled system and they're playing very well. Um, he's done at the, well, as it stands at the way the way they're looking now is that he's managing to do with West Ham what he tried to do at Everton for about a decade. He's finally got a team playing that way, and yeah. They're going to be a problem for us, especially away from home. That atmosphere, obviously, they've got that Olympic-style stadium, so they're you know that's a factor. But they've overcome that. Obviously, they're playing fantastic this season, and West Ham fans obviously very passionate. They're going to be very loud. It's going to be an intimidating atmosphere. But yeah, you can you can never write off Liverpool. You know, we're off the back of the Champions League win. It was a bit frustrating for us to not get more, perhaps. But yeah. I, th- I think I think we'll be all right. I'm, I'm not too worried. Uh, obviously, we do have to look at our previous game and think, you know, that's possibly, you know, like that's we're capable of putting our performances like that sometimes. But no, I quite fancy us um, in the capital. We usually do quite well when we play in London. Um, so I'm not too worried. Um, but yeah, no, West Ham will be a sizable challenge, certainly a bigger challenge than they have been for a long time. I mean, Rick, Rick, would you be in agreement there? I mean, they've got got a few... I mean, it's a team in form, really, but there's obviously a trio of names that are well-known across the Premier League. You've got Mikel Antonio. Two uh, Liverpool links names would be Declan Rice and, uh, of course, Jared Bowen, who was specifically linked to Liverpool by The Athletic. I mean, we're, we're looking at sort of Bowen in particular, three goals, three assists across 15 appearances, which uh, is only two behind uh, Mane's total goal contributions in one more game. Um, but like, how are you feeling about the threat posed by West Ham? If you look at their XG, the the they have the highest, the uh, third highest XG when it comes to uh, overall uh, with one point eight two. Liverpool are, are top with two point four. You know that we're, we're scoring goals, they're scoring goals. It is very much like a sort of a yin and yang kind of. You do one thing, we'll do we'll do the same. Um, you know they're they're getting, like you mentioned, goals and wins in unexpected places, and you know it's a credit to David Moyes, who most people wrote off after the whole Man United situation. I think he's he's done he's done wonders for them, uh, especially like you know this last year or two. Uh, it's just yeah, you you can't you can't underestimate them. Um, but that being said, you know we have the highest. XG away from home, which is only just slightly more than the regular overall XG. But yeah, I I I just uh, I I I can see it being a close game, but I think we'll we'll end up you know coming away as the victors. It all depends on for me. It all depends on two things: who is fit in midfield, 
because we have a serious issue with injuries right now. Uh, where is the graphic uh, that was sent in the group chat? Here it is. Uh, so we've got James Milner out. Curtis Jones is currently being assessed. It's, you know, face injury, uh, eye injury. Uh, Nabi Kato, obviously, he's going to be out for a while. So, yeah, he's completely out. Although not in the midfield, Firmino probably won't play. Gomez, you know, probably won't play. Yeah, it, those those are the main ones. It's it's. I feel as though, as long as we can get a fairly strong midfield based on who we have. I mean, we were singing Ox's praises earlier. He's really got to turn up, um, and play a significant amount of of game time. Uh, I I I trust Tacky to be able to to slot in if needed, but I don't trust him uh, in a game of this magnitude. Uh, yeah, at, at this level, if Ox can can perform like he did midweek, but then again, he might not play because he played midweek and he played for a significant amount of time for Ox. Yeah, I just, I just hope we can f- put out a functioning midfield. That's, I mean, it's glad that we've got um, Fabinho back now, which is, you know, that that solidifies us completely. But I just. I think it's still too early to be putting Thiago on for a full 90. Henderson, Ox, Fab, for me, in that midfield. Uh, I, I think that's pretty much our only choice, really, in, if, we're, if we're going by the, the sports science sort of side of things. And then it's just Jota in for Firmino. And then it, defensively, I think, you know, maybe Canate. I, I think Costas Robertson is, is, the, is the main sort of which way can it go? I think that's the only sort of creativity, really. I think the, the squad kind of picks itself for the most part. I mean, you've pointed to um, the injury list there, and sadly, uh, Roberto Firmino joined it uh, against Atletico Madrid, being pulled off with a hamstring injury. Um, I mean, we've got the international break coming up right after West Ham, um, and then you know, we've got Arsenal on the 20th of November. It's, it's almost come at the... The, the right and the wrong time, you know, you think that period should help us get, you know, get a few players closer to returning to full team training. Um, but then you think, you know, off the back of beating Atletico Madrid, hopefully another three points against West Ham, you know, it's a chance to build momentum, but it is what it is. I mean, Steve, would you agree with sort of Rick's um, prediction for the team there? Or do you reckon, do you foresee any sort of surprise additions to the first eleven? I think Rick's nailed it really. We are kind of forced into a position where the team pretty much picks itself and the only bit of flair that Klopp can offer is the left-back position. And he's blessed with two fantastic options. Um, yeah, I think up front, it pretty much picks itself unless, God forbid, there's there's another injury in training. Don't say that. It's, uh... <laughs> Don't. Someone touch wood. <laughs> it's, uh, it's better than saying there will be none. That'll definitely make it happen. No, um... Yeah, it's it's Salah, Mane, Jota. It, it quite simply has to be. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing if if Klopp threw a Rigi in there for a laugh because he does these things every now and then, um, just to spice things up. Uh, midfield, yeah, I agree with Rick. Um, bringing Fabinho back into into the mold um, after his uh, injury, phenomenal. He's the most important player in that midfield. Um, apologies to Jordan Henderson who wears the armband, but Fabinho is the most important player. We need him to play. He's 
one of the best holding midfielders, if not the best in the world. Um, you can put, you know, against West Ham, quite a feisty outfit, especially with Declan Rice in midfield. Um, Fabinho, Henderson, of course. Um, and then, yeah, you've got that Ox, Thiago, maybe Curtis Jones. It's unclear what exactly what's happened to him, but he could be all right to go. We, we don't know. It, coin flip type situation. Yeah. I'd probably start Ox, like Rick said, and then Tiago off the bench. Pretty much carbon copy of what we did against Atletico. So we're not putting too much pressure on either Ox or Tiago. Um, Konate is who I would start. Um, Matip, class, but glass. Don't want to get him hurt. Um, so give him a break. Don't send him to the London Stadium. Put him in the stands, by all means. Um, you know, don't uh, don't leave him in, <laughs> in Liverpool for a laugh. Uh, right back, yeah, Trent, of course. Um, left back. Van Dijk, by the way, next to Canate. No surprise. Was say, yeah. 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 a bold call. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're not going to get a, a random uh, appearance from somebody from the from the academy there. I don't think. Yeah, Van Dijk and Canate. I think Canate more than ends it, uh, and Matty ends the rest as well. And left back, yeah, I'll, we'll probably see Robertson back to be honest. But again, Simicas, no problem whatsoever. Allison in goal. Can I just say how much I love cla- uh, class book glass? That I mean, is one of my, my new favorite sayings. If he ever releases an autobiography, I mean, that, that should just be straight, you know, first option right there. Uh, so, Matip, if you are listening to this, hit us he up. Is. We've got yeah. some, <laughs> we've got some you cracking just know ideas. <laughs> no, no, as soon as the massive highlights reel came and it was like, right, I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. Um, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I think, it, pff, I mean, that's, the team pretty much picks itself at this stage, partly due to injuries, partly due to the brilliance of the main options we have left available. Um, I mean, it's going to be one of those games, I think, where... You know, but there is going to be not really an element of of, of caution, but as Steve rightly pointed out, respect. You know, this side is in the top four for a reason. They've earned it. They're looking strong, but Liverpool are also looking strong. And speaking of which, um, I mean, Rick, I'm going to go to you here first for this, but what's your uh, score prediction? I think that if Costas plays, or regardless of if Costas or Robertson play, um, but especially if Costas plays, his record of not being, uh, or not conceding a goal whilst he's on the pitch uh, gets broken, unfortunately. I think it will be a fairly high-scoring game, but a fairly even game. I think it will be 3-2 to Liverpool. Oof, Steve, are you going to match that? Are you going to challenge it? No, um, I think it'll be the same story, but less goals, 2-1 to Liverpool. Oh, okay. Well, gents, I'm going to go right bang smack in between you both, and I'm going to go for a 3-1. I think Fabinho back make, makes you know a huge, huge amount of difference. Um, not to disrespect, certainly, uh, West Ham's attacking potency, but I just think you know that's more, more midfield control. I think that's the ticket. Um, we'll see, of course. We've got the game coming up this Sunday and we'll be hoping to see Liverpool continue um, their f- recent form and get the three points heading into the international break. For now, that's all. We'll be back next week for a review of, hopefully, a win against West Ham United right in the middle of the international break. For now, this has been uh, Steve Carson, Rick Elliott and myself, Farrell Keeling, um, at the Red Nets podcast. Take care.